and welcome to the College of Lore. I'm your host, Anthony. I'm your host, Josh. It's been a minute, so we're a little rusty around the gears, but like a well-oiled phoenix, we're coming back from the junkyard. Should we say that? Because if you post weekly, it just sounds like we're not rusty at all. Uh, I, f- I-, I can tell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be the only one listening to this, and that's all that matters. So, today, we are talking about a thing I saw on Twitter... It was a series of images posted from Twitter. And the last picture that I saw was basically this guy telling a story about how he had his players learn from mistakes. And Josh and I had an interesting conversation about it. I thought we should record it for posterity. So basic idea of the story, Dungeon Master decided to have a magic item for his players that contained key knowledge. Now, when when I have key knowledge, I usually have bunch of different places my players can get it from they can go to like ruins they can talk to someone who's experienced what they're looking for before or you know there there are clues hidden around you know different groups and factions going after the same or similar things josh how do you drop key knowledge and like plot hooks and stuff normally in my games the narrative or the key knowledge or the key item or whatever it is that the player eventually needs to get back to uh, i would agree it has several ways to get there or there's several different variations of what would be considered a key item so i don't like to put all of my eggs in a basket personally my style is to have like three eggs and then the more eggs you collect the more you're prepared for an encounter okay but having even one of those eggs will point you in the right direction so you can still get to the point it's just the other eggs are bonus points for how prepared you are right so if you want to skip the other eggs it's fine if you want to go for one egg over another, one egg might be more useful, but in the end, you're still going to get an egg. Right. It, it's a game of chance. Like, all role-playing games have dice. If you mess up a roll, you don't want to have your player like, well, you messed up the roll. You can't, you know, determine anything. The game comes to a standstill. The DM's looking through his notes. It's awkward for everybody. This one DM in question that I saw, he decided to have a magic item that was a Tome of Eternal Lore that would speak to his players and tell them the truth about any uh, three questions that they had. So the players looked at the tome, and they're talking in character, like, oh my god, does this answer every question? And the Tome of Knowledge goes, yes, it does. And they're like, oh no, we we probably should be pretty careful about what we're saying and, and asking questions, right? And then the Tome says, yes, you should. <laughs> And anyway, the players ended up using all three of their wishes, uh, so to speak. And, you know, they felt horrible that they had wasted such a, you know, key magic item. Flash forward a couple sessions, they find another one. The dungeon master decides to recreate the exact same magic item, have them encounter it. And then the players, uh, quote unquote, learned from their mistake by, you know, encountering the same problem again. Uh, and then finding a new way to attack it. They, you know, like, wrote messages to each other out of character, and or in character wrote messages to each other out of character, discussed, you know, outside of the game how they were going to handle it. They tackled it in an interesting, engaging way. Everyone was, you know, involved at the table, which is a win. But when we discussed this, what were your thoughts on it? Well, see, personally, I think recreating a problem to mirror a problem that's already been faced unless planned for is kind of lazy a tomb of eternal lore in this instance for example having a second one is dumb why are there two 
Like, that's not cool. And it makes it really transparent to the players what you're doing. So my idea of reprimanding something like this situation usually involves uh, either a trial to redeem yourself, to fix the problem, having them deal with the problem in a more difficult manner. So, like, if you have no eggs, then you still have to deal with the problem. It's just more difficult, in which case that's fine because you still, in the end, fix the problem. Uh, or having them miss out on something. I, I don't believe in mirroring the problem. Like, that, I, that to me seems very lazy. So at the most, I would give them a problem that fixes the problem that they lost out on, but I would make it different. I would not make it the same thing. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, maybe some sort of ritual to restore the tome to have one true answer. Yeah, exactly. So in that sense, the players feel like they earned another second chance. I would never give my players a second chance for free unless that was already planned or, like, it was my mistake. Okay. And maybe the DM felt a little bad for, like, taking their questions in character. That could also have been the DM's fault. Like, for instance, if I think it's my fault, so let's say I create an encounter, but I don't give the players ample resources to be prepared for the encounter, and the players just get screwed over by it, that's my fault. It's bad game design. So they had no way of knowing that talking and answering the questions would cause, or asking questions in front of the tomb, even if it wasn't directed at the tomb, would cause the tomb to answer their questions, right? So technically speaking, the tomb really only had two questions because the first one is the, like, mistake. That's yeah. their free one. Yeah. So the, t the next two maybe, but if they weren't prepared for it, if they didn't know that they had to be careful around such an, ar an artifact, that's kind of the DM's fault. It, it could be, and... You know, I think the, the main point is uh, that we can take from the scenario is what are some cool ways that we can do to make our players involved? Because when you mess up in a game, it definitely makes you... It can have, you know, an effect where you, you just distance yourself and you quit, so to speak. But also, it, when you mess up hard sometimes and, and you give your players just that little glimmer of hope, it can get them super invested. I can count, you know, like five times uh, off the bat times where I've messed up personally in your game, and I'm like, all right, next time when this happens, I'm going to be so prepared for it. I'm going to be ready for, like, uh, to answer questions about my god, because uh, I'm a paladin, and, like, I didn't know the answers in, the, in a fight in the heat of the moment. Uh, or, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna be ready next time. But, yeah, you want to keep your players involved, and you want to make them feel like they've learned from their mistakes. So there's a lot of different ways that this problem could have been handled, I think. I agree. It also depends on your party. I mean, if your party doesn't want to go for that more hardcore approach, like my games tend to run, then sure, give them their, their repeat, their their second chance, and make it obvious, I guess. Yeah. I prefer not to make mine obvious, but also I kind of know my players, so it definitely depends. Yeah, I think most D&D players, uh, like one of my favorite D&D memes is like, ah, oh, geez, I need to find out some, some type of puzzles uh, to throw in or like a riddle. And you go and Google uh, puzzles for three-year-olds, and then <laughs> that's what that's what pops up, and what lever to pull to get the door to open, and it's like just pull levers one, and then lever two, and then lever three, and they're gonna do anything but the obvious one. Yeah, I personally don't like that. All of my riddles usually have a way around them, or they're a bonus room. That that, that doesn't actually matter. Okay, so. interesting. Yeah, I'm like, oh well, you know, if you fail the riddle, you fight a monster. That's usually my formula. <laughs> But you still get through the door, so we're not stuck here for three hours. 
Yeah, uh, that's just when the when the momentum stops. That's the worst. You you definitely want to have yeah. like ways around things, multiple ways people can answer stuff, and then as a DM, you have to think on your feet to quick like, oh, I didn't expect you guys to say that. Yeah, that could probably work in this situation, and you know, just be like kind of open about this sort of thing. Or if you feel sorry for your players <laughs> and the answer is somewhat creative, you give it to them. I've done that many times actually. <laughs> I just don't say anything, and I'm like, yeah, yeah man, I'm, you, you did yes. it. Yes, good job. That's the yep. That was it. <laughs> you know, good job. And I'll just keep going. In terms of like actual players' mistakes, like to learn from them, you do have to kind of find a way to tell your players that you know this was the mistake that happened, and then this is you guys learning from it. If they don't like, if they don't get it after the session or something, like let them know that. There was. I agree in most circumstances yeah. with that. Yes. Sometimes though, you just need to feel it. If yeah. the player does something truly stupid, sometimes it's not a lesson. Sometimes it's just, hey man, deal with what you caused. And that's learning and that's from it. your mistake too. Like not getting the golden nugget. Yes, but not necessarily, not necessarily giving them redemption for said mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if someone dies in the process, like even most games, even like let's for instance, critical role, one of the players died in the campaign and there was no reprimand for that mistake he's just dead yeah yeah uh and you can use that as a as a chance for like uh character growth because the pains of life cause characters to think about their actions more yeah for sure it's a your actions have consequences and sometimes you know there's no easy way around it you don't like cause a riot in the city get arrested and then they're like well all right guys you caused a riot Slap them on the hand all right Hey, pay the fine of five gold pieces and move on. Yeah, I need you guys to go grab this artifact for me, uh, since you're prisoners anyways, or serve out your prison sentence, you know, one or the other. Yeah. But yeah, you just got to know your group. Cater to them is kind of something that I've always said. But then I think your group kind of needs to cater to you at the same time. I think going into it, uh, all four of the players that play in in your game, Josh kind of like heard about your games knew about the style of like hardcore fun that that you offer up the that dish that you serve and we were ready to eat at that restaurant yeah i mean you definitely need to know what to expect when going into a game that you don't always get that luxury sometimes people play pickup games or find groups online so in my opinion a good dm always sets a precedent but sometimes you just got to feel it out and if you're not having fun i mean you can leave and find another table or you can talk to your DM about it. There, there's there's definitely a give and take relationship. I mean, you're there to have fun. They're there to have fun. Talk about it. Yeah, I've, I've ran more pickup games than I've jumped in on. And I've definitely, in terms of campaigns, I've really researched you know who I'm going to play with before jumping into a campaign cold. And it's true. Everyone has like a little different style, a little different flair, how they like to present information and how they like to see problems solved. You can definitely tell when you're playing with someone and running in their game that they spent so much time on and you try to solve a problem in a way that you know they weren't expecting. I've seen people get upset because you're a DM, you're taking time out of your life and you're creating the story. And if you're not if you don't listen to this podcast and you don't know that you're supposed to create multiple ways for people to solve problems and multiple ways for the story that you've written to go, then it's very easy for a dungeon master to get upset at the players. Like, they're surrounded. The police all come. Everyone gets arrested at, like, the end of Airplane. Instead of, like, going along with the story the way the dungeon master said, maybe the PCs fight it off 
and since you don't want to steamroll railroad your players, it the encounter doesn't pan out the way that you wrote it. A good DM is going to be flexible for all sorts of things, and if the plot hook goes away, then the plot hook goes away. I agree with that, 100%. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> now, I said this in off-air, and you, you disagreed with me. I think that D&D is just for coming together, having fun, and that you shouldn't push, push your narrative on your players. In, in that regard <laughs> i mean de- define pushing the narrative on the player i think that's an important thing that we should state before i tell you whether i fully disagree or agree because <laughs> i do agree that having fun is the most important part of D, both inside and out like when i'm running the game or when i'm building the game i think that having fun is more important than anything yeah but I don't think that goes separately from pushing your narrative on your players because there's a level of integrity that needs to be set in your world in order for the players to like feel immersed. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but I still think that in a way, I, and I will always say this, is that you, you're working together with your players to create the story in, a, in my you know utopia of D&D. Everyone comes together and... And puts together the story in, in some type of way, where it's maybe sixty forty on the DM. And in that way, a dungeon a good dungeon master, in my opinion, is flexible enough to be able to rewrite an even entire story arcs depending on how the players change the story. Well, the reason I mostly disagree is because the way I build my worlds and in world building, I have characters and story arcs that are happening, right? I change those in relation to who and what my char- my players interact with. But if my characters, I'm sorry, not my characters, if the player characters don't interact with said event, then the event continues. If they don't directly change the course of events for that thing, then it's going to continue happening. Right. <laughs> so the integrity of the game still remains intact. The players still get influence over the narrative, but they don't get to influence everything because the world around them is still happening creating like a narrative together it's one story in hundreds of others that are happening in tandem if that makes sense to like that's how that's how my brain sees it right like the character story is important but also this general over here he's creating history too in the background like it's not just the characters yeah there are many books written about the same history and i would say pushing your narrative on your players means that you railroad them into that event no matter what they choose. So in that way, you're not pushing your narrative on them, but they're living in your world. I guess we're on the same do page. You, do you feel like, uh, do you feel like I, I, I railroad you? Dude, all the time. It's so annoying. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> no, not at all. I can't tell if you're serious or not. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. Because <laughs> I, I don't think that, personally, I don't think I'm that pushy with my narrative. Uh, I think I'm pretty stringent with, like, the laws and the lore that are behind my world. But I think you guys have pretty free reign over, like, the events that occur and, like, what you can do. I I never set walls. No. Uh, You guys can do anything, really. I feel like we get nudged, like, with time limits. Uh, I think that's a great way to, at least, it pushes me in every D&D story that I've played. Uh, You're doing something. Oh, you only got, like, six days before this thing happens. And we're like, oh, shit, it takes four days to get over there. We got to go now. (laughs) And we all pack up our stuff and go no matter what. Yeah. I will say, uh, to break the fourth wall, uh, I push time limits a lot harder than they actually are relevant. 
sometimes I'll push a time limit and it does not matter. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. Um, but it yeah. always oh, no, feels... like literally nothing will happen if you take longer. I just push oh. it because it makes it seem more real to y'all. It and it's a great way to to push your players a, a time limit. We had a I was in another story that someone else was running, and we were all going through the game, and it kind of like momentum was dragging the last three sessions or so. We were going from town to town. We were looking for you know story arcs and and plot hooks that had been dropped way back in like session two and we're just like looking for these things but we were looking in the wrong spot so out of nowhere the thing that one of the things that we had been carrying after the third time that the artificer went and touched it it activated and it like gave him death cancer or something and we had like (laughs) 10 minutes death cancer yeah the worst worst kind of cancer (laughs) and uh we had 10 days or he was going to, like, turn into ash and just blow away in the wind. That's that's death cancer. Uh, yeah. I mean, 100% fatality rate. <laughs> and, unless treated. We just, like, ran around, grabbed three potion ingredients, did a ritual, and he was fine. But it pushed the game forward in a momentum that we were really lacking for a long time. That has stuck with me the most because we all, like... <laughs> we all dropped what we were doing. We all focused in together as a team, came up with ways to solve the problem, split up our, our group. We were always like, never split the party, but we all split up, got the job done, and saved this guy's life. And it felt super rewarding. Man, I wish you guys followed the don't split the party rule in my group. Mm, yeah. They split the parties so often, it's insane. Which is hilarious because there's like two and a half players in our game. Right. And in the game that we were playing, there was like 10 of us. <laughs> Jesus. No, but you know, time time is great. Actually, I started using time originally not to push players when I was first starting. Um, I created the time tracker because it helped me create uh, a sense of immersion for myself for events. So like, in an in instance, when you went to Ash Mountain and you guys were there for X amount of days and then the soldiers arrived, that gives you a sort of a, a more in-depth sense of, that, of the world happening around you. It's not an event that necessarily had to occur. It didn't mean anything, mm-hmm. but it occurred. So it's like, oh, soldiers are mobilizing, people are moving, world events are happening. It's not just us in a tavern drinking and being stupid. It's things are happening. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean anything other than the fact that the world is alive. So I created the track. Now I use the tracker for events like that. When towns burn down, when things are attacked, when people are traveling, commerce, stuff like that. I use that to help create a more immersive sense of cities and the world and stuff like that it's for me mostly that's cool you know we started talking about like you know how, how do we make our players learn from their mistakes but i think this has also kind of evolved into a how can the dungeon master learn from their mistakes as well like with keeping up momentum and with getting the party or your your friends or the, the player characters involved in the story all these things are are really good for both of those situations i think I agree with that. Honestly, though, the most I've learned is just asking your players for criticism and then feeling out the energy. If the energy of a session was a bit slow or lacking or you're feeling like people were on their phones or something, I mean, yeah. what did you do? What was the session like? Is this okay? Like, was it like a chill shopping session where people just do whatever? In that case, it, it's probably fine because they've probably been fighting things for a while and they need a rest and they need a break. Yeah. Uh, but this is happening, like, consistently, then... You need to check yourself because you are running the game. You're talking about trackers and stuff. I think it would be really cool to do because I just got a new laptop and I have a bunch of one-shot pregens and I really want to take all those and convert them and like organize. 
So I think maybe on our next episode, we could talk about how to get organized for a one shot or whatever. And I really want to get into using OneNote and like, yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Maybe throw some pictures on the website and stuff about how you organize. Cause I think your way is, is really cool. My way is actually stolen. So who do you steal from? Uh, if I can find where I got it from, uh, I can, I can reference it. There was like a template that I took from OneNote basically well, at least artistically speaking, for the OneNote process that I use. So, like, I have red text in yellow blocks for narrative, uh, and then I have the actual description. So I have, like, a narrative description. I have, like, an actual description, GM stuff. And then I have events that occur in the area, things that play, like, beats that players need to hit, and then maybe some important things. If there is a significant dialogue, I will have one-liners in there, and I'll have, like, specific things that they need, that they would know that they need to specifically convey depending on how well I know the NPC. Because sometimes I know an NPC super well and I can write their name and I'll know exactly what they need to say. Right. I want to get into more personally in times when you're on break or in times when some people can't make it. Uh, we had a, a little bit of a break recently from, from running our games and I've been wanting to run a one-shot, but I've totally not organized or anything like that. But if I had, like, if I had... Uh, ammunition in the chamber ready to go I think I would be a lot more willing to just jump in like hey guys one shot this time to this time if you can make it you can make it and then whoever wants to why jump don't in. you run a pre-gen that you have I have so many but I'm not organized so it's like I need if I could get it from just a you know six page pdf into some like or, like you know here's the city uh, here's the I beats okay. and then like take it out like that so i don't know if i want to do like a live breakdown of that sort of thing yeah i actually agree with that i do find that a lot of pre-gens and stuff have too much detail yeah especially for someone who like if you wrote it it's a lot different because you know where everything is as opposed right. to someone else copying you yeah and honestly i think one shots are probably the best practice for freestyling true they they really help you like stay on your toes as a dm yeah, people who like need the practice, it's really good. Yeah, so um, yeah, we can definitely talk about that. I would love to. True, true. We got our next episode in the works. Um, writing it down now. Um, but going back to the original argument, uh, pushing your narrative. I think it's like I said before. It's a little give and take, man. the The narrative, in my instance, in my uh, in my opinion, is very important. Mm -hmm. I don't think you should be pushy, and I think you should be flexible, but I think that being too flexible, it questions the integrity of the player's actions. Yeah, integrity, I think, is... Like, d and is getting more popular. We can't deny that. I see so many posts about it, uh, people who've never played D&D sharing D&D things with me because they know I like it. Um and I'm I'm a little worried about the state of of D and D kind of and forgive me if I'm rambling, but there's there's like this lack of integrity I think which we both seem to really hold like that was the thing that that drew me in to role playing was the concreteness of this fantasy space that we were playing in and the fact that I got sucked into it so you know crazy was because it, of the integrity of the game, where everyone was taking it so seriously. And that was, like, uh, this this thing that I needed in my life that, you know, isn't, is hard to find. 
So I see a lot of like newcomers and like the the freestyling, um, the lack of integrity, kind of just going with the flow. Um, where the where sometimes if your if your party's struggling, there's a balance. You know, your party's struggling against something like you said, and you just give it to them when they're close is very different than like oh, I make a fart joke and the door opens. Yeah, no, I agree. It also depends on, for instance, the party's actions to get an artifact is a lot more different than changing what the artifact does or what the artifact means. Because the players aren't as concrete as the world laws or the events around the world. Does that make sense? What do you mean the changing the way the artifact is? Like being flexible with how someone gets to, from point A to point B. Sure. Is a lot more lenient because people can get from point A to point B in many different ways as opposed to what's at point B. Point B shouldn't change. Yeah. Getting there can be flexible. Yeah, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Like, the book is written, but the way that you get to that page is, you know, determined by your actions. Yeah, exactly. And there might be multiple points, and you might choose to go to different points, but each of those points, I feel, should be very concrete. A, B, C, D, those should be stagnant points, because if you don't have some sort of anchor or anchors, then your players are just playing in a sandbox yeah that doesn't really mean anything yeah and what are you doing as a what where's the story going if it's just going wherever yeah, your that, players take that it? feels like that feels like it's just going to get derailed and eventually it'll end in chaos yeah so i don't know do you think that are you worried about the state of D with newcomers just trying to like pull off of the greatest hits of critical role or something i am not worried because so here's the deal. There's often the argument that Critical Role is either very good or very bad for the community. Yeah. People giving the whole Matt Mercer effect. I think that's bullshit. I think Matt Mercer is a great DM, and I think that Critical Role has done great, amazing things for the community. Um, anyone who sees the toxicity and the fact that everyone compares themselves to Matt, there's a problem with you, well, personally. Sure. Like, Matt and his party are just playing the game the way they want to, and if you choose to see the game as, oh, everyone should mirror them, then you don't know what D&D is. True. And I, th I think there there needs to be more stuff. For, that's why, that's kind of like why I wanted to do this podcast was because I wanted to break apart the core aspects of why I love this game so much and express that to people in a medium that they could understand and really try to analyze these things instead of just looking at a bunch of people having fun and then taking 10 minutes of just like looking at a greatest hits clip of something and, and yeah. seeing people make jokes and be like, Oh, well, it's just like a fun time with my friends, which it is. And that is a core thing of why I love this game, but it isn't held together by that. I agree with that. That's like the fat and the gristle and like the meat of it is like the integrity, the, the story, the drama, the friends you made along the way. And then like everything else is just like delicious fluff. Yeah, for sure. And you have to remember that the, the game of D&D has always been evolving. It hasn't necessarily been the way it is now. I mean, change is not wrong. People had fun playing D&D when there was no story, <laughs> when it was just a dungeon crawl. And people will continue to have fun playing it now. So True. the people who get bored of D&D because Matt Mercer is not your DM, that's fine. You can leave. Um, and all the people who stick around for what it truly is about, I mean, we'll have a great time. True. True. And as long yeah. as you and your group can make it something that you all enjoy and it, it hits those those core aspects of why you like the game, then more power to you. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. Play For what sure. makes you happy. Play with the people who make you happy and you have a 
who cares for sure well, that may not be the bell, but it's kind of like in college where the professor just gets up and, and leaves, uh, <laughs> which I've had a few classes like that. It's the last day of school? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> it's definitely not the last day of the College of Lore, but it is just one of those days. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we'll play a bell sound effect right now. Uh, the Oh, wait, sound effect, not making it with my mouth. Got you it. did your best. It's a bard college, man. <laughs> I make noises. Peace out. Girl Scout. Where to you, mother brother?